Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our unsung hoopers in the mid-major conferences for NCAA men's basketball. So much like our last episode with the unsung women's hoopers in the NCAA, we're doing the same thing with the men's side in the mid-major conferences. So Jalen and I picked five unsung hoopers each. So Jalen, your first unsung hooper, who is it? Yes, sir, man. Gotta love the mid-major basketball. Underrated elite hoopers down there. Taryn Armstrong for California Baptist, man. This is the first guy. It was no, it was a no-brainer for me. This is a guy who got put on my radar via Sam Fasini. Shout out to Sam Fasini's uh get the game theory podcast. He was talking about him in terms of his prospects of the week to focus on in terms of like NBA guys. And he said that Taryn Armstrong is a guy they use as more of a 2023 prospect. But one thing that resonated with me was that he also said that Taryn is arguably the best live dribble passer in college basketball. And that hit different. Taryn's already averaging 7.2 assists per game, along with 9.9 points per game and six rebounds. And when Sam was talking about Taryn, he compared him to Josh Giddy. We're talking about multiple, multiple time rookie of the month in the Western Conference, Josh Giddy, who was drafted six overall. Now, Taryn, this is freshman year standing at 6'5. And for Cal Baptist, again, not the craziest scorer in the world. That is not one of those things that he does at a high clip, but the dude can flat out pass the basketball. He has had multiple double-digit assist games so far this season. Has been really solid for Cal Baptist as well. And although he doesn't fill up the box score from a scoring standpoint, like I said, the dude just keeps the ball moving. And even if he doesn't get an assist, he tends to be the hockey assist type player that can create. And he's so crafty. So Taron Armstrong, I really like his game. If you watch him, He's a really interesting player and getting compliments like that from a guy like Sam, Sam Vecini, who's been doing this draft coverage stuff for the better part of, you know, seven to 10 plus years to be one of the best passers, in his opinion, is definitely a really huge accomplishment and probably should be considered a really huge honor as well. I think Josh Giddy is almost the perfect comparison to compare Taron Armstrong with. I think when you look at Giddy's playmaking ability, his oper- his his ability to create opportunities for others on the floor, I think that's a lot of the things that Taron Armstrong currently does for the for California Baptist. Because when you look at a player like Armstrong, he has one responsibility: make plays and also make plays for not only himself but also for others. If he can do that, he can help California Baptist win games. He can he can keep California Baptist in games with his playmaking ability. So, again, not a, a tremendous score, but this is a guy that you want as a solid facilitator for your basketball team. And much like Armstrong for you, Jalen, as kind of a no-brainer, my first player is also a no-brainer, Hyungjun Lee from Davidson, this is an absolute no-brainer for me. He's averaging 16.8 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 2.2 assists. And what has been impressive this season is his shooting ability. He's shooting 50.5% shooting from the field, uh, 41% or 41.7% from three. He has scored in the double digits in all but one game, and he's been one of the main reasons behind Davidson's impressive season, headlined by what is now a 14-game win streak. And there were concerns going into this season about the loss of Kellen Brady and how this would impact their team this season. This is definitely not affecting them as much as I thought it would. And like I said a week ago on this podcast, you don't want to face Davidson in the NCAA tournament. You don't want to face him in general, especially with how they're playing right now. Yeah, I mean, just to build off that, I mean, the scary part is I wonder what this team would look like if Kellen Grady was still on the squad. Like, that's the thing that's really anticip- like like intimidating to me. But when you talk about Hung Jun's, like, season overall, I mean, you talk about his scoring ability. This most recent game against VCU was the only time he hasn't scored a double figures at all. Like, I mean, in general, right, 
mean, he's not a guy who's walking around dropping 20 nightly. He has a few 20-point games. He dropped 32 earlier in the season. But he's a model of consistency as being a double-digit scorer. One of the things that is kind of interesting is he does it on pretty low volume. I mean, he's typically anywhere between, like, seven or eight shots and as high as, like, maybe 15. He's got a couple of, like, 17 and 18-shot outliers out there. But he's typically not dabbling too deep into the like the double digit scoring uh double digit shooting nights i mean 15 has been about his regular consistency in terms of anything in the double digit area so he's doing it in a way where he's not having to force himself in on the game but ryan i have an apology i genuinely do i think i've revised my thoughts on the most dangerous teams to face that list that we had um, a few episodes to go in terms of I had Michigan State as the team I would be the most uh, fearful of as a as a five seed or lower out of that group that we had. Davidson's growing on me more, man. Like 14 games straight is definitely like really impressive on its own. But the thing that's stood out to me a lot is like the recent VCU win. 63 to 61. The the win over Richmond, 87 to 84. Um, the the game against uh Rhode Island uh earlier last uh last week or I think uh two weeks ago, 72 to 68. Like the most impressive part is that they're pulling out close games in conference games against uh, in matchups where they're going to be, you know, tough back and forth, and they're coming out victorious. That's intimidating. Now, Michigan State has still got the scariest road ahead, personally, I think, out of the group of, of teams that we had, um, which um, let me go back to that real quick just for people to have context because uh, the group that we had for um, those five teams were Davidson, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Michigan State, and Providence. I had Davidson third, and that is feeling more and more disrespectful as we go along. So I, I just wanted to make sure I kind of – preference my uh, comments a couple of episodes back by saying that Davidson is growing on me more and more um, by the game. I'm glad you've joined me on the Davidson bandwagon. I was, I was waiting <laughs> for your arrival. I had your ticket. I had your ticket ready to go. But anyway, I think, I think the big thing with Davidson too, is just, you get this consistency from not only Hyung Jung Lee, but Foster lawyer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a name that I actually had thought about putting over Hyung Jung Lee because of his ability to shoot from three. Also, with the, the the opportunity that he has to put 50, 40, 90 this season and how close he is to doing so, I think that's something that's really interesting too. But give credit to their entire team and also their head coach because Davidson's pulling it together right now and at 15 and two. They look like a really impressive team that can make a lot of noise in the NCAA tournament. But Jalen, let's talk about the second unsung Hooper that you have. Who is your second unsung Hooper? Yeah, man. So I cheated. This is the truth. Um, we're not allowed to pick Towson guys or pick Maryland players um, for these unsung Hooper lists because of the fact that we already covered them so closely. Plus, it counts as homerism. So I cheated anyway. And I picked a guy from Loyola, Maryland and Cam Spencer, one of the best scorers um in in the conference uh for Loyola 19.1 points per game 4.7 rebounds per game 3.6 assists doing it on 47% from the field and he's had a really really hot uh stretch of games these last couple of games uh as hasn't had a single single digit game all season had 32 points earlier um in the year uh, as a season high against uh the College of Charleston Recently had um, 26 points against Lehigh, 26 points against Bucknell, 26 points against Army, um, where they only lost by three points in overtime, which that Army team is slept on. Ryan, at some point, we're going to have to really talk about the crazy Oompa Loompa style committee game, like committee lineup they got going on. They got about 20 dudes all playing. All those dudes, they're not playing really any legitimate bigs. Army's ridiculous, but in terms of Cam Spencer, man, I mean, just a legitimate scoring threat, um, Maryland guy, Maryland bred dude, and um, I just think he's really solid, and I think when you talk about him as a potential prospect, it's kind of interesting to me because he's a guy who you do wonder whether or not that scoring ability will trans- translate 
But I mean, I love his game. I love his game, man. I think the big thing when you look at Cam Spencer, um, you know, the scoring ability, right? We we don't really focus a lot on players scoring ability with these unsung hoopers, but when you are scoring as well and as consistently as Cam Spencer is, I think that definitely has to be recognized in his last five games, um, starting with the two matchups against Boston, 19 points against Boston the first time around, 19 the second time around. Against Bucknell, 26 points. Only scored 14 against Lafayette, but it was a solid 14. And then against Lehigh, 26 points, seven rebounds, five assists. His The last five games he's been able to show us that he can score almost at will. Mm. And he kind of reminds me a little bit of Pat Spencer, who now plays in the G mm. League, and he used to play at Loyola, but not for basketball. He played at Loyola for lacrosse, yeah. which, makes it, which makes this a little bit more interesting. And now Pat Spencer, uh, who actually went to Northwestern, to play basketball for a year as a graduate student. Now is playing with the Capital City Go-Go's in the G League. Yes, sir. So definitely an interesting story there that we'll talk about. But Cam Spencer definitely has the opportunity to carve out a path for himself in college that could find himself in the G League. So definitely interesting. Yeah, and one last point I just want to make about the, this the squad for Loyola. I mean, they've been really good so far this year, 11-7 and seven overall, 5-2 and two in the conference. I think realistically, this is a year where I think Loyola could make the tournament. And oddly enough, I think the team in their way is Navy. The team in their way is Navy. And they've already lost to Navy, but they played them real close. Like I mentioned earlier, lost by three points in overtime. They're going to be an interesting squad because of the main fact. The main thing is Navy is really good on the road. Seven and two this year on the road. And like I said before, crazy depth. They have at least, Ryan, I think we did the math, and there's like at least 15 guys playing at like anywhere between 8 and 12 minutes a game or something crazy like that. They're definitely playing by committee. Loyola might have the best talent on the floor with um with Spencer, but I think that overall that's going to be the, the, the hill they have to jump over that's going to be the hurdle they have to jump over in order to be able to come out of the Patriot League. Like I said, I think Cam Spencer is the best player in the Patriot League. But he is also going to have to significantly be there when coming going up against teams like Navy, because I think that's the main roadblock, roadblock between them and the NCAA tournament. And I think with Navy is so interesting because, again, the win by committee mindset that Navy has is it's so interesting because they, they play a lot of different players each game that you can't really tell. They don't really have like a consistent starting lineup. You obviously see players like uh, John Carter and Sean Yoder on that team. And they're pretty consistent mainstays in the rotation for Navy, but there's always a bunch of different players that you see. And it's that win by committee mentality that makes them so interesting. And they sit second in the conference as well. So mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if this was their toughest test. Uh, if it was Loyola's toughest test for them to make it to the NCAA tournament. My second player is Jamal Kane from Oakland. And he's averaging 19.6 points per game, 9.4 rebounds, 1.9 steals. Jamal Kane is an interesting story because He spent four years at Marquette, and in his final year, he averaged 9.6 points per game. He only averaged about six in his career year, in in all four years at Marquette. Transfers to Oakland in the same transfer portal that includes guys like Walker Kessler, Earl Timberlake, Bookie Ellis, Marcus Carr, Devin Askew. The The names go on and on and on. This was a loaded transfer portal. Jamal Kane this season for Oakland has seven double doubles. He has produced significantly more than his time at at Marquette. He scored at least 14 points in every game except for one game against Cleveland State. And he's shooting 50% from the field and almost 81% from the line. Both are college career highs. So Jamal Kane has helped to make Oakland a favorite to win win the horizon at 13-5 and 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 7-1 in conference play. And he's just been a standout player for this team this year. 
Yeah, and you mentioned Marquette. You know what? I mean, the funny thing about that is, as Maryland fans, it seems like Marquette is our kryptonite from a from a talent perspective, right? They seem to scoop up either all our Maryland guys, talking about the Terps, or just Baltimore-bred guys, you know, uh, in terms of uh, guys that end up going there that are from the Baltimore area. Granted, this is a different set of circumstances with Jamal Kane, not from the Maryland area, but an interesting setup where actually – in his case, leaving Marquette has opened him an opportunity up as opposed to what we are accustomed to seeing, which is Marquette actually unlocking players. And it kind of is interesting to think about the idea from the guard spot, what what Jamal would be doing as a part of a Shaka Smart-led Marquette team that already has as many wins this season as they had have, uh, as, had as all, excuse me, they already have as many wins this season as they had of after all of last season was concluded. So, I mean, it would be interesting to see even in that case. But with Oakland, like you mentioned beforehand, me literally doubled his point points per game production. He literally is almost averaging a double-double with 9.4 rebounds on top of that. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? And you talk about the kind of situation that he's in now I think it's just going to be interesting to see how he progresses and again I, I do have to mention it because I think it would be interesting talk about again I mentioned it earlier Jamal Lewis one of the best uh rebounders um in the Big East for Mark for Marquette you know how we feel about Daryl Morsell like if you had added this guy to that level of a front court between three four and the five like how much more dangerous will Marquette be? And we already think they're scary enough. But nonetheless, Kane, uh, Kane, Jamal Kane has been doing really big things for, for Oakland. And, I mean, this is the definition of a breakout year when you talk about his improvement from four years of basketball to now playing for Oakland. And, Ryan, we have to shout out the new rules. We don't give the, we don't give the NCAA a lot of credit for many things. But this extra year of eligibility is really changing the lives of some of these players. And it's giving guys like Jamal Kane the opportunity to take one more chance, one more opportunity to put themselves front and center. And guys like Jamal Kane are really taking advantage of that situation. Yeah. And I think when you think about him uh, on Shaka Smart's Marquette team, I that that's probably going to be one of the what ifs for Jamal Kane, but I think with what he's been able to do at Oakland, mm-hmm. I don't think we have to consider that as much of a what if. I know Shaka Smart's a guy that is able to turn around basketball programs. He did that um, with Texas, and then now he's doing it with Marquette. Shaka Smart hit, and also at VCU as well, because we we uh, can't forget about that run as well. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to see what Shaka Smart could do with Jamal Kane to see if he can unlock his potential a little bit more. But what he's been able to do at Oakland, we're seeing his potential unlocked right now. Mm. And I think that's really what's impressive because I know he didn't have a, a stellar four years at Marquette, but he's definitely carving out a path for himself for sure. Jalen, who is your third unsung Hooper? Shout out the big homie Kenneth Lofton Jr. for Louisiana Tech. And I mean that on a literal front and figuratively speaking. My dude is six foot seven, 275 pounds, and a pure problem in the post. 10 double doubles this season, 36 points and 17 rebounds against NC State earlier in the year. Uh, did come in a loss, but sure as hell wasn't his fault. He was putting up numbers. Then you also look at it, he's at at least a block in all but four games this entire season, including a game um, earlier in the year with four blocks. Um, and he had a double-double in that game as well with 12 points and 12 rebounds. The dude is a bucket, bro. He, I mean, he's a pure problem. And, I mean, the interesting part about it is he's also a pretty solid free-throw shooter, which is, like, kind of unexpected for, like, big men that play with this kind of, like, physicality. They tend to kind of struggle at the line. But, like, he had a game against Western Kentucky where he went 10 of 14 from the line. Um, You had another game earlier in the year um, in that same game against NC State, 7 of 10. Like, it's not, you know, he's not going perfect guard level style, but he is definitely capitalizing at the charity strike. 
Kenneth Lofton Jr. is a man amongst boys as a physical force down in the post. And Louisiana Tech is one of the best teams, literally the, uh, the best team in Group B for Conference USA. And I wouldn't want to see them. Like, I, I, that's just my suggestion. But, Ryan, your thoughts? I think what you talk about Kenneth Lofton, I mean, his ability to get to the line is what's impressive mm-hmm. because you mentioned the, the physical the physical uh, force that he is when he gets to the line, tries to draw context so that he can get to the, so that he can get to the line defensively is where you see it even more because he's a defensive matchup that you do not want to go against because of his physicality mm-hmm. and his toughness, you know, and especially the fact that he's on a Louisiana tech team that like you mentioned, Jalen has been, under the radar in terms of teams that haven't been talked about that are doing great right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that that that's really impressive. And I think Lofton is going to continue to be a force, not only in the conference USA, but also uh, in the NCAA tournament, because I think that LA that uh, Louisiana tech, they can, they can make a run. I think if they can, if they can pull out of the, conference usa tournament if they if they can go through the the conference usa tournament they can get to that ncaa tournament and be uh a sneaky 12 13 seed mm-hmm. because it like statistically you and i know this jalen that's those are two seeds that record some of the biggest upsets right if they can get even to an 11 seed that would be that the odds could be even in their favor because this is a team that has that capability of being an any given Sunday type of team where you don't want to play them for one game. For sure. I mean, I agree. I mean, we saw this with Oral Roberts last year. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I mean, they are, I mean, Louisiana tech is good, man. And I mean, you talk about Kenneth lost Lofton. He's only had, you can only count on one hand, how many games he's had where he shot less than 50%. Like, that's how efficient he is. And a lot of these games are double digit, um, double digit shot attempts, 25 shot attempts um, in a game earlier in the season where they played Santa Clara. He was 13 of 25. Like, I mean, there's a handful of double digit uh, shot attempt games on here where he's shooting 50, 60, 60 plus percent from the field. Like, I think that's huge. And I don't know if they can necessarily play through him. Come tournament time, things unlike the playoffs in the NBA in NCAA tournament in NCAA tournament time, the game almost actually kind of speeds up in a way, and that's going to be interesting to see how his play style matches up against that. But you can't argue with sixteen point five points per game, ten point five rebounds per game, and just over a block a game. You can't argue with it. It's, it's just too good, too productive. I think when you talk about also his efficiency he's a menace inside the paint. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that could be beneficial to a Louisiana Tech team that, like I said, has been making some noise this year. So let's see let's see how, how it all plays out this year because this is a team that we could be talking about again in March. Mm-hmm. But another team that we could talk about in March as well, Colorado State, they have a great player who is my third unsung hooper, David Roddy. Now he's averaging... 19 points a game, 7.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists, a steal a game, also has 1.1 blocks a game. Roddy's season has been impressive, and he's one of the reasons why Colorado State was unbeaten for so long, and also why they have currently a 14-1 record. His shooting efficiency has improved from the field, also especially from three, because he was shooting 19.5% from three in his first season with Colorado State, now this year he's averaging 40 he's shooting 42.2% from 3. Also a solid defender for Colorado State as well because he can cover multiple multiple positions on the floor and on offense he can easily uh draw double teams. The three game stretch that he had against Bradley and Creighton and Northeastern he put up 30 and 10 against Bradley. 36 against Creighton. He also made seven threes and 27 and 7 rebounds against Northeastern. He also shot over 65% from the field in all three of those games. So that stretch really helped me solidify my case for why he's an unsung Hooper this season. He also uh, had a 24-point game against uh, Utah State 
And Justin Bean was another player that I was about to put on this list as well. He's been solid, but uh, he had a great one-on-one matchup against him. And his scoring ability and what he's been able to do for Colorado State on both sides of the floor makes David Roddy on Sun Hooper. Yeah, and Ryan, Colorado State is not um, – they are not a team that flies under the radar on this podcast. Basically, my way of saying this is not the first time that we've talked about Colorado, the Colorado State Rams on this pod. They were actually one of our teams that we – if I believe – I'm correct. They were part of our last four in group last season, actually. Um, so that's a team that we're already pretty huge on um, when you talk about coming out of the Mountain West Conference. And I think with the way Roddy has played this year, I think he's solidified himself as a legit go-to guy for this Rams team. And I think that's something that I think is going to be really important This year, more than any year, really, right? I think one of the most interesting concepts about college basketball, and I actually want to get your thoughts on this because I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, but one of the most interesting concepts about college basketball this season to me is that there's been this preaching around um, from conference to conference that the new it kid of college basketball is to have a older, more veteran-shaped basketball team. And I think that's an interesting concept because you look at teams that don't even typically do that, right? Like the Kentuckys of the world, right? That actually got significantly older in terms of their roster in comparison to like years past. And like, this is one of those interesting setups where I think that's part of what makes Colorado State so interesting. Like most of their core group from last year that we were so confident in, it's the same guys, the same group. I think Roddy has just improved as a part of that system. And so, like, I wanted to get your thoughts on, like, the idea of, like, this um, old man's game, so to speak, of that that college basketball is becoming, where almost these, this idea with the transfer portal, st- guys sticking around in the league, getting leagues getting older, uh, teams staying old, might actually be an underlining ticket to success in terms of being a dangerous team come tournament time i think it's interesting that you bring it up because like kentucky seems like the prime example mm. when we talk about this because let's let's think about this kentucky last year a lot of younger players brandon boston terrence clark Obi, uh, jacob toppin obi toppin's brother um you know that's just a few of those guys you also talk about davion mintz as well as part of that team younger guys mm. this year John Calipari flipped the switch completely. Mm -hmm. He brought in a lot of older guys. Now, that Kentucky team that I was referring to last year had one graduate transfer, Olivier Saar, who's currently in the G League. This current Kentucky team, a lot of older players. And one of those older players that's been really good has been Kelly Kellen Grady, who actually left Davidson and is now a graduate transfer at Kentucky. And he's been shooting the ball pretty well from three this season. So I think the mentality of programs, not only, not just Kentucky, but also, you know, the Dukes of the world, the Kansases or the, the Kansases, uh, um, you know, the Texas teams of the world. Mm-hmm. I think now it's about chemistry and continuity because the one thing we, we, we talked earlier with Kansas about now, uh, also with Kansas and, and Texas, but also last year with Kentucky was continuity. Mm-hmm. How can this team gel together? I think with veteran experience, which is something Kentucky lacked last year, they've been able to kind of remedy that a little bit. And, you know, when you have guys who have been in the college basketball sphere for as long as they have been and can instantly make an impact on your team, I think that's what a lot of these blue blood programs are focusing on more. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like you talk about, and you talk about, Kentucky and obviously the guys that come to mind, Oscar Sheebway transferring from West Virginia, um, Kellen Grady, you mentioned beforehand, and like so on and so forth in terms of guys getting like in terms of teams getting a little bit older or kind of like mailing it all in on making a more veteran presence based team. Even look at um, a great example of that working in reverse is how young of a team Memphis is and how how much of a struggle that's been. 
um, for them all season to the point that Penny Hardaway actually snapped on a reporter the other day, which is an interesting concept because of the fact that um, he's been a pretty even keel guy for most of the year. But um, the team has struggled as of late. So, um, yeah, I just wanted your thoughts on that, because I think Colorado State is one of those teams that one of those programs is kind of just building right now. David Roddy is definitely one of their shining gems for their team this season. But their squad is relatively the same as last year. And we were pretty confident in them coming out the Mountain West as a final four team as a as a, a final four team in to the, you know, into the tournament last year. And I mean, I feel like this year they have a chance to be even better than that. And I think the only things that are really stopping Colorado State from winning the Mountain West, I think there's three teams. I think you talk about Utah State with Justin Bean. Boise State has been pretty good this year. Mm -hmm. But San Diego State is very sneaky. And shout out Carson. Shout out Carson Cook for this one because he definitely put Jalen and I on the, uh, to, uh, to San Diego State. Mm -hmm. Matt Bradley has been a problem. For real. And I think especially when you – when you lose another great player in Jordan Shackle, who was one of the best three-point shooters in the country, you need to have somebody step up. Matt Bradley's been that guy for them. And this Mountain West Conference is a conference that we need to really keep our eyes on because like the ACC, like we talked about last week with the ACC, how there could be four teams that make it in. Mountain West could be a conference that takes advantage of the ACC's down year and ends up getting a four-team, five-team bid. I think that I think that could possibly happen. Yeah, I mean, the Mountain West looks scary in general. And you know, we were so passionate about the uh, about that conference last year. Like in terms of talking about the Mountain West, I just it's gonna just be interesting where it all falls because of the fact that I always feel like the Mountain West is one of those conferences that comes down to the final weeks. And obviously, the tournament has a is very indicative of who moves on. But their final weeks of conference play have so much influence on like the final four teams in when you're when you're talking about the selection committee, because those teams compete like for they really compete and they make it so hard. I mean, we almost put two teams in the Mountain West in our final four in last year, if I remember correctly. So like that's just how competitive they can be on a night to night basis. So they're one of those uh, conferences where especially those top four squads, I mean, all of them, I feel like you can make your own individual case for where they could end up seeding wise or why they, you know, just barely miss it. And it'll all kind of counter, it'll all counterintuitively be because of one another. I think out, out of conference play, won't have really any influence. Essentially, it's a game of whack-a-ball, and you have to figure out who survives the longest between the, that group. But I still think that the Mountain West might be able to get at least at least two teams, if not maybe three in. I think that's really interesting because, again, like I think the four teams that I mentioned have a great chance, but Colorado State can separate themselves from the pack with a couple of these wins. So I think that will be really interesting too. Let's move on to our fourth unsung hooper, Jalen. Who is your fourth unsung Hooper? Man, Ryan Davis for the Vermont Catamounts. I have brought this guy up in passing to Ryan on a couple of occasions, mainly raving about Vermont. I really like Vermont as a team. Um, Ryan Davis is the guy that leads them in scoring with 17.1 points per game, but Ben Shingu is a really good player for them at the guard position too, has been really, really solid for them. Vermont player of the year back in high school as well is just a Vermont born and bred guy for them. Talk about uh talk about Ben Shingu. But you talk about Ryan for a second. 17.1 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 53.9 um percent shooting from the floor. And if you look at the game log, I mean, first of all, you talk about some of the teams that Vermont has actually lost to. Providence, you know how high I am on Providence. Um, UNC Greensboro, they only lost by three points. In that matchup, Ryan had 17 points. Oakland, who we mentioned earlier as one of our uh, as a, uh, one of our players with Kane, as one of our um, unsung hoopers, they only lost by three points in that one. And Maryland at the beginning of the year, um, and they only lost by nine points in that matchup. And um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Ryan was also like slightly in in foul trouble. But towards this back half of the season. The Catamounts are on a six-game winning streak since losing to Providence on uh, December 12th. 
And the dude has been filling it up. I mean, 21 points and nine rebounds against UMBC. That hurts as a local, as a local. Um, Stony Brook, 17 and six um, against them. I mean, Ryan Davis has just been really good this season. And I'm just a really big fan of Vermont in general. They're another one of those teams. We were talking about sneaky squads in that top five um, storylines episode. Vermont was a team that didn't make the cut, but they're a team that definitely I think is going to be dangerous when you talk about what they could potentially do coming out of the America East. And right now, the America East is there. Stony Brook is probably the next closest team. And I think Vermont is good enough to come out of this conference. And if they do, again, you want to talk about one of you want to talk about one of those teams you don't want to see in the tournament. Vermont is definitely one of those squads that when the first week of March Madness, you're gonna want to you you gonna really want to tie them laces up tight because you are gonna be in for one. I think it, I think Vermont is just interesting interesting itself because they're a contender to always win the America East, right? You know, there's usually that outlier of like UMBC that one year when they beat uh, Vermont in the championship game for the America East. Hartford last season uh, ended up winning the America East. There's that outlier, but you always find Vermont in the conversation of being the most consistent team in this conference because they always find themselves at the top. And Ryan Davis is a player that's helped them get to the top. Mm-hmm. And, you know, considering the fact that uh, Jalen, you actually didn't mention this, but he actually leads the team in blocks with under a block a game. Good point. Defensively, he can get it done. So I think when you, when you talk about when you mix his scoring ability on offense his his defensive acumen as a, a as a six eight guy for this team, that's what makes him so interesting, and that's what makes his team so interesting. Especially when you pair him up with Ben Shungu, who I talked about him with uh, the Maryland the Monday Maryland breakdown when uh, he ended up dropping twenty five points on Maryland. He was a, he's been a solid scorer the entire season, but Ryan Davis is the engine that makes this team go. Um, when you talk about my fourth unsung hooper for this episode i have to talk about darius mcgee for liberty and he's averaging 23 points per game 3.7 rebounds 2.9 assists and 1.4 steals a game for darius mcgee he has improved in all of his college playing years his freshman year he averaged 7.8 points per game on 38.4 percent shooting from the field 31.9 percent shooting from three this year 23 points a game on 48.1 shooting from the field, 48, 48.1% shooting from the field, and 40.7% shooting from three. Now, if you remember, Jalen, almost a year ago, we did our predictions for March Madness, and we talked about some of the matchups. One of the polarizing matchups that we talked about <laughs> when we had the guys from All Facts Media on, Aaron and Andrew Robinson, we talked about Liberty and Oklahoma State. And mm-hmm. one of the things that made Liberty so dangerous was the play of Darius McGee. And plain and simple, Jalen, Darius McGee is a bucket getter. In the Diamond Classic tournament, he put up 22 points against Northern Iowa, who has an unsung hooper of their own in A.J. Green, and 41 against Stanford, who just came off of an upset against USC, um, who, did, who just defeated USC to knock off their undefeated season. Last Saturday, he put up 48 points against Florida Gulf Coast on 64% shooting from the field and 57.1% shooting from three. Also added 29 points in their loss to BYU. And I think Liberty is another team that can make the tournament. And McGee is one of the reasons why they can make the tournament again. Yeah, Darius is ridiculous in terms of how he can light up the scoreboard. And you mentioned that game against Stanford. They only lost by three. It was 79 to 76. And you look at some of their other games like that they've lost earlier in the season, they really struggled. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that they were still trying to get their feet underneath of them. Um, he dropped 22 against LSU in the second game of the season. Um, he had 20 points um earlier in the season as well, and a uh, 27 points in a uh in a in a win earlier in the season, but there was also a game. Where he only dropped nine, I believe it was against like Manhattan or something like that. So, like, I think earlier in the season it was all about kind of revving up, but this back half of the year has been really good. And I don't know if Darius McGee just kind of licks his chops come like 
home conference play time, but I mean, it's been kind of ridiculous the last four or five games too, bro. Cause like you look at it, that Florida Gulf Coast game is also the closest game they've played in the last like five games. Every other game they've won by anywhere between like 15 and 20 points. You look at their most recent win. They played Jacksonville. They beat them 88 to 49. Like it's something about like league play for Darius McGee this season where he has just kicked it up to a whole nother notch. And you mentioned the, the, the polarization of this Liberty team. I think we might brew up a couple more arguments because I think they are going to be a team that's going to be in it for the long haul this season when it comes to March Madness as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have another bet take place uh, with Aaron and Andrew Robinson. So I, I think that Liberty as a team have that ability to pull off an upset, even though they didn't do it last year with Oklahoma State. I feel like they're another team with the any given Sunday mentality mm. where in one game scenarios, you don't want to play this team. And Agreed. I feel like we're going to have to make an episode out of that too, because there's a lot of teams that you don't want to play in one game situations and we've named three <laughs> of them already. So right. we might have to make an episode out of that, but nonetheless, I think Liberty will definitely be um, an- an- another team to watch out for uh, as the season um, gets closer to February. But Jalen, let's wrap this episode up with our fifth and final unsung hooper. Who is your last unsung hooper? Yeah, man, I went with um, I went with uh Alex Barcelo from BYU, and I I did this mainly because well, he is playing really well, but I also did this because I feel like a lot of people believe that the West Coast Conference starts and ends with Gonzaga. Like you kind of like wonder like if you're like a basket a college basketball like casual you'd almost wonder you'd almost I I tend to believe that people look at the West Coast Conference and look at Gonzaga as the team that both basically wrote the book of Genesis like this is the team that you know is coming out of it you know they're the team that's going to lead the charge and a lot of these other teams don't really get discussed throughout the season and BYU is right behind them at uh 16 and 4 4 and 1 in conference play this season um, undefeated at home. St. Mary's is another team um, in the West Coast Conference worth keeping an eye out on. But with Alex, 17.1 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, three assists, shooting 47% from the floor, which is really good. Another thing that kind of stands out in terms of what he's been doing this year is mainly how much he stood out from the three-point line, shooting just over 46% from three on 5.4 attempts. That is a career high for him. In terms of his uh, in terms of his uh, attempts, his efficiency is only about two percent short of his career high at forty eight point six percent. But he was only taking just over three attempts um, in that first season with BYU, and also he was doing uh, that he was shooting his most efficient from beyond the arc while averaging only ten points or only like nine points for them. He's averaging just um, just almost double that this year while also having higher volume from back there. So. Alex has just been really good this year, and I feel like it's really important almost in a weird way. Like, you almost need to do your due diligence to highlight other teams in the West Coast Conference because Gonzaga is good. Gonzaga is going to be in the conversation in terms of a team that's going to be up for the national championship. But BYU, St. Mary's, I like San Francisco, and we talked about them a lot towards the beginning of the year. Even San Diego, too. Like, there's a lot of really good squads in the West Coast Conference, and they kind of get lost in the shuffle because Gonzaga is so good. And I I think that's worth highlighting. I think it is worth highlighting. And I actually remember last year when we talked about BYU with our West Coast Conference episode, uh, with our West Coast Conference breakdown, Alex Barcelo was one of the players that I highlighted on this team because of his shooting ability. Mm-hmm. Last year, he was shooting 52.3% from the field, a little over, or, or should I say close to 48% from three. This year, close to the same numbers as last year shooting-wise, but still an efficient shooter. 47% shooting from the field, 46% shooting from three. Not a guy who turns the ball over a lot either. Also not a guy that finds himself in foul trouble a lot either. So 
I think the discipline level of a guy like Alex Barcelo is something to look at too, because this is also his fifth year in college basketball, his fifth year with BYU. So I think that's, that's something to make mention of that he can be a standout player and somebody who's reliable, right? This is a guy that you want taking the last shot. We, we remember talking about uh, Kayla Pointer with LSU in the last episode. Mm. This is somebody that's reliable and that's somebody that you want in late game situations that you trust with the ball. And Alex Barcelo is that guy. Agree. Definitely agree. Alex is a really good player. And I think BYU is going to be a factor um, in the West Coast Conference. So moving on to my last player and Jalen, I think I cheated as well because homerism, <laughs> homerism definitely took, took over, but for good reason. So my last player is Nenda Tark for Coppin State. He's averaging 12.2 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 1.8 assists per game. Now, if the last name sounds familiar, his older brother, Anthony, played at Coppin State last year and now is with the Detroit Pistons G League team. So I think he's, at, he's having a pretty good season so far as the G League season just kicked off earlier this month. But nonetheless, Nenda Tark is making a case for himself to be the MEAC Defensive Player of the Year. And he's a redshirt freshman. So if we talk about his length, his quickness, his athleticism, his perimeter defending as well, he also leads the country, or he's actually third in the country in steals per game with almost three a game. Nenda Tark is arguably one of the best defensive players in the country as well. But what put Nenda Tark's name on the map was his half-court heave <laughs> to win the game against Morgan State last week. And also, not to mention, you know, last year, Nenda Tark was Rookie of the Year in the MEAC, and he was also third-team all-conference last year. He was also co-defensive player of the week this week, and he has multiple games of four steals or more. He actually has a game this season – where he put where he have uh, where he put up five steals. So I think what's so interesting about Nenda Tark is that his defensive ability has been under has been underrated the entire season. And I think what's going to be so impressive is to see him grow as a player and to see him become a solid three and D guy. Because last year he was shooting the ball pretty well. This year, the efficiency numbers are slightly down, but they're still good. He's shooting about 41% from the field. I think what will be interesting is to see him improve over time. Yeah, I like Ninda Tark a lot. And the biggest thing with him is definitely the active hands, definitely everything on the defensive end from a perimeter defense defender standpoint. You talked about him leading, you be him being a lead guy in terms of uh, steals per game in the nation. He has nine games with at least three steals. He had five steals against St. Bonaventures. That's a season high for him. And the biggest thing is you mentioned it beforehand. Like, yeah, Coppin State as a squad is not good in the record books, but they have also been a good, been in a good handful of these games. They only lost by 10 to Drexel. They lost uh, by two to East Carolina. There was a 76 to 75 game where they lost to uh, Canisius. Uh, Cleveland State, they lost by three. Um, I mean, realistically, would the record be that much improved if they pulled those games out? Not by much. But the, the thing is, there are a handful of these games where they are in it. But I think that, I mean, Ninda Tark is a really solid defensive player. And you mentioned his improvement over time. I think the biggest thing is just going to be him being more aggressive on the offensive end. I think he already is a player that can do so much in transition. He is dangerously athletic in transition, by the way. I think the interesting thing about Coppin State as a basketball team is if they can find a go-to guy to lean on in the half court, that would unlock this team. Because I think they have the athletes on the squad to be a solid perimeter defense. I think they have the athletes on the squad to be a good overall defense um, in the MEAC. But I still think they are looking for that go-to guy at the scoring of, in terms of scoring to lean on. Because if you look at things right now, I mean, I would argue if you look at the top of the pe pecking order, uh, 
Jesse Zarzuela with uh 15.4 points per game. He's that guy. I mean, he's that guy for them, but there needs to be like a Robin there. It's it's kind of a weird concept. Tyree Corbett has also been really good. Like, I don't want to undermine these guys, but there's easily something that needs to turn around for them in terms of them being able to get more um wins. And I think it's just that they need somebody to step up as a secondary or tertiary guy for them. I think Ninda has the capability and the fact that he's already so far ahead as a perimeter defender makes it where if he can just unlock his offensive game, the three-point shot is where he struggles the most. He really doesn't even attempt many and he's not shooting a really great percentage, 30.6% from the field right now, from the three right now. But he has time. And if he unlocks that distant shooting or even just more, again, again, being more aggressive on the offensive end, I think they might have something. I think they, I think Ninda Tark is the real deal. And I just hope that over the next couple of seasons, they can unlock his offensive game because the defensive capabilities are already there. I think the other thing that hurts Coppin is, is uh, losing two of their best players. They lost Anthony Tark, like I mentioned earlier. Dewan Clayton, who was their leading scorer, one of mm-hmm. the best players in the MIAC, ended up transferring to Hartford. So I think that's definitely something you have to take into consideration. But nonetheless, I think Nenda Tark has that capability to be the second leading scorer on this team. And I think his his two-way capabilities could be unlocked in college. I think this, I think this is his opportunity to really show as a player, not only on the defensive side, because we've already seen it. But on the offensive side as well, I still feel like he has more to unlock. But uh, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is your unsung hooper in the mid-major conferences? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.